I pray unto every song and every album. May this song, may this album, may this show tonight touch whoever needs to be touched in whatever way they need to be touched. Like God work through me. She's writing it from the heart. That's where real artists um, who kind of push things forward, uh, they, don't, they don't look at what's happening now. They become their own now. Andy Ari uh, came out at a time where R&B music was really changing and it was kind of no pun intended, going back to its roots. India Ari is like good collard greens. India Ari is like the best vitamins one might be able to consume. India Ari is like vitamin C. I mean, she's a boost to the immune system of consciousness. Her being who she is and staying who she is means that that's who she is. And uh, I love her for that. For singer and songwriter India Ari, life started in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado on October 3, 1975. The second child of a pro basketball player father who named her India and a singer-turned-fashion designer mother, India's life was one of privilege and opportunity. I was born in Denver, Colorado. I didn't have any roots in Denver, Colorado, but my father it was a professional basketball player. Her father chose the name and I heard him tell me that he had a name for our daughter. My mom said my dad came home one day and said, I got the name. And she said, she was like, oh God, what is he gonna say? He came with the name and I thought it was, thought it was lovely. You know, I thought it was great. Early on, young India's world was all about music. It was a life fueled by her musical roots, a family where music was in the blood. Well, my mother is a musician and my mother's whole side of the family are musicians. I was with a singing group myself um, in my teens, and I opened for Stevie at Michigan State University. The first music I was able to have in my hand, like my first records and my first tapes, and all that was from my mother, just by naturally watching her. She sang in the kitchen, she sang in the bathroom while she was putting on her makeup. It was just always singing. Along with her family, it was the pop sounds of the 80s that most influenced the beginnings of India's musical journey. Colorado really shaped my musical expression because I grew up with all the, what was popular in Colorado in the early 80s. So like Air Supply and Steely Dan and Lionel Richie and Cyndi Lauper. The black station in Denver at the time in the 80s was 1510 KDKL. And, and anybody in Denver knows what I'm talking about. But at night, hear nothing. So we had to turn to the, the pop stations, as they call it now. That's what we had to listen to. So that's when we started listening to Phil Collins and Journey and Tears for Fears and that's what we grew up on. All I really did mostly was music. Listen to the radio, learn songs, listen to the lyrics of songs, sing with the radio, figure out how to make my own music. India's love for music and her natural talents were recognized early and nurtured by her parents. My parents had an extensive record collection, vinyl, of course, at the time, and I would find instrumental songs that I could sing over, like if it was God Bless the Child, something that I recognized and then I would play the record with the tape recorder and sing. India was about 12, and um, she was doing some housework. You know, we all had our chores, and her, one of her chores was to vacuum the living room area. And I heard someone singing and cleaning. I heard this, this Saravanish, this, this mini Ripperton kind of flow coming through the living room, through the door. And I couldn't believe a 12-year-old could do that. I think the first time I really knew that she could sing is, you know, we were in the backyard one day just playing around and she was singing Whitney Houston songs. And I was like, 
and can sing a little bit. Her vocals are always, even at 12, better than mine. And they still are. She's a brilliant vocalist. Music is what I did. She played the saxophone. She played the trumpet. She played the clarinet. She was very, in, very much into her music. But her parents' bitter divorce created a stormy and challenging childhood for young India. And when India was 12, her mother left Colorado with India and her brother, Juwan, for a new start down south in Atlanta. Yeah, uh, uh, actually a very tumultuous family life because my parents were divorcing. That was a rough period uh, in, in our lives. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think I took it as hard as she did. The divorce was not nice and not cool. And so, it, 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 you know, and I grabbed my children and left. That's it, you know. So it was, it was hard on them. She became an introvert during that time. And, uh, but I think as, as time went along, I think she understood what was going on. We all grew to the point like, okay, our dad is somewhere else now and we're living with our mother. And we got used to that. I never not allowed their father to see them, speak to them whenever they want. Our father was always there. He's a good guy, a fun dad. And it's cool because I didn't realize until I got to be an adult myself that both of my parents would tell my brother and I repeatedly, you can do anything you want to do. India's mother moved the family to Atlanta, both as a way to find work and give India and Juwan a more racially mixed environment. It was hard for her in Denver, you know? We lived in an estate, not regular houses, so the houses were large and the neighborhoods were predominantly, I'd say 99% white neighborhoods. Culturally, uh, you fit in sometimes, sometimes you didn't, you know? So it was kind of tough for her and my son sometimes, but um, I moved to Atlanta to give them diversity. That's the reason I moved to Atlanta. We were like, there's nothing but black people in here. You know, where we come from, it's a mix. Our mall was a mix. In Denver, the mall was a mix. But when we got here, we, we were like, wow, these are all minority malls. We were calling all our friends in Denver like, hey, you guys should come see this. Both my children flourished in Atlanta. But India remained close to her father and returned to Denver to live with him and finish high school. Me and Indy went back and forth to Denver to visit our father. I actually ended up going back to finish high school. A year later, India went back to finish high school. So I went back to Colorado to live with my dad, and the schools in Denver were outstanding. We had jewelry classes as part of our art program, so I got a portfolio scholarship to go to um, Savannah College of Art and Design. In art school, however, India was still drawn to music. I said, if you go to school and get your lessons and get your grades and and graduate and be out quick. Because if you don't, you're gonna be in school forever. When I got to college, I just was like, my music. What am I gonna do with my music? Because really, music was what I did as a hobby, as a, that's the reason why I went to school, really. I worked at the school store. My first paycheck, I bought a guitar. That ended up being broken, but I didn't know anything about guitar. I just knew I wanted to be like James Taylor. And then I went to a friend's house and he, they had a guitar in the corner that looked perfect. So I asked him if I could have it. Two months later, I had four songs written and I went to this coffee shop to play my four songs that I wrote in the park when I should have been in class and I wasn't. It was my first taste that I was gonna, that music was gonna be a part of my life for the rest of my life, that I was never gonna let it go again. Coming up, India takes a big gamble on her music, but does it pay off? I finally said, oh, here's what I'm gonna do. You can come live with me for one year. If you don't make it in a year, you're going back to college. That's the deal.
her coffeehouse gig under her belt, India was clear she wanted to be a professional musician. So she quit college to pursue a record deal. When I decided I wanted to leave to do music, my mother wasn't crazy about it, but she knew that all my life music was all I ever did. My children were the first children of my mother's eight children to go to college. And for goodness sake, you're gonna finish if it kills me. She wanted me to transfer to Atlanta so I would still be in school and be able to be in the musical community in Atlanta. She cried and we fussed and whined and moaned for a long time. Well, when she decided to quit school and, and, and go hard on, on you know the music career, I mean, I thought it was a good idea. And I finally said, oh, here's what I'm gonna do. You can come live with me for one year. If you don't make it in a year, you're going back to college. That's the deal. India easily made her mark on the ATL's 90s underground music scene, where popular local acts like soul singer Donnie and the group Jiva were looking to land recording contracts and take the music industry by storm. The beginning of my career for me was leaving Savannah, going back to Atlanta, and I got involved with a group of friends, and we were all just friends, musicians. Um, the singer Donnie, the album The Colored Section, he was a part of that. We called it, we were our artist collective, we called ourselves Groovement. There was something bubbling up in Atlanta around music and around what at the time was alternative music for, for black music. It was, you know, live instruments and bands and people who wrote their own songs. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was shiny and glitzy and glittery. It was just like raw, creative energy. There are two elements of this artist collective. One, we had a live night at a club in Atlanta every Friday. That was Groovement. And then we had a label that never turned out to be a label, but that was our intention, was to be a label. That was called Earth Seed, planting positive seeds of music in the earth. Donnie was a part of that. It came out of the, uh, the ideal of the Wu-Tang Clan and how you could get all these guys together um, as, as a force, almost like Voltron. And, and then everyone can, can separate and get their own deals. And that's the uh, concept that we had for the Groovement in Earth Seed. And there were, you know, lots of promoters who had started to do shows like Jason Orr from Jazz Cafe and Will with um, Chocolate Soul had started and the Yin Yang Cafe was the place to be. The Yin Yang changed everything. Um, uh, yeah, it was a house that of, of accepting and open people with no outside interference. Atlanta had an underground and an overground. You know what I'm saying? You had people like uh, Joy and, and Sleepy Brown and, and Seek and Jeeva and the Lil John and the Chronicle. On the other side, you had the overground people. You know, you had TLC, Usher, Outkast. Those kind of people didn't feel elite and we could cross-pollinate and share ideas and gifts and secrets. I felt like, well, we got amazing musicians here in Atlanta. Why don't we build something here? On Atlanta's 90s underground scene, India became a local star at popular clubs like the Ying Yang Cafe and local music events like Chocolate Soul, where she got her start, and the Funk Jazz Cafe. It was self-contained. It was just her and her guitar. And so, um, we started to book her in stuff that was outside of our productions. I had a reason to write a song. Like I would write a song or two every week and then go to our live night and play it. Friday turned into the night where, you know, the Groovement uh, Collective performed. And yeah, she was 
her and Donnie were the headliners. Whenever she was performing, you know, the house would always be packed. I just remember rolling up to the club and seeing this huge line wrapped around the building. And I said, these people aren't just here to see Andy. There had to be a, and Donnie, there, there had to be a, another event that happened right before this. She did have this one song, the uh, India song you probably heard about. Everyone knew all the words. I was totally playing at clubs in Atlanta and people were like yelling out requests, India song, and singing the song with me, India. Like, like I was a star. I just remember just being blown away by her. Just everything about her, just, you know, she had star qualities. And I knew at some point in her life that she would be, you know, a big star. Somebody has to be first and it was India. And it was because she was ready, because she was like, she wanted to be first. She was ready to be first. And she was self-contained. Next, India scores a major record deal. She played on her guitar for me. And I don't, I don't recall whether it was India's song or Brown Skin. And I just remember getting up and saying, welcome to Motown. In the year 1999, India went from local underground sensation to major label superstar. From Earthseed, um, people were coming down to Atlanta because they were hearing about us, and mostly people wanted to sign Donnie. And second, they wanted to sign me. We were working with a guy in New York. He called me one day and was like, I think that we can get India on Lilith Fair. It made sense for me to be on the Lilith Fair. I ended up doing the B stage in Nashville and St. Louis. This first tune is sort of my introduction. My name is India, and this is a song I wrote about Savannah, Georgia's the southern town in Savannah. It's an interesting place. That's where I started playing guitar and doing this three years ago. This is India's song. The point about the Lilith Fair was that I met someone that I liked and that I trusted in the industry that I actually wanted to work with. Her name is Reen Nally, who is an independent talent scout for Universal. I'd heard her name, and they said they think this is an artist named India, and she's out of Atlanta. Reen gets in her car, takes the four-hour trip to Atlanta, doesn't know India, doesn't know where she stays, doesn't know, doesn't know us, doesn't know nothing. So I went to a lot of record stores and finally got the Earth Seed compilation. And on it was a song that India did called India's Song. And it let me out. It took her four days to find it. She kept asking, do you know this India? you know India already? Do you know India? And so finally, I ran across a guy who knew her. And he said he would set me up a meeting, a lunch. She got my music, and then I met her, and I liked her a lot. She had a vision not only visually, while she looked the part, but she had a vision musically. We knew each other for about a year, started doing some demos together. And I said, gosh, you know, let me put you with Blue Miller. And you and Blue can hold these songs, and let's see what comes out of that. She goes, I think your two souls would meet in the middle. Would you work with her? And I said, whatever that means to you, I would love to work with that voice.
She came into Nashville by Greyhound bus. And she had her head wrap on with her long, long dresses. And everybody looked like, oh my God, there's a star. And we started working, um, finishing songs that India had written, um, writing new ones, uh, just kind of learning who each of us was, you know. And we had about six songs that we really liked, and I brought those up to Doug. Now, Doug Morris, by the way, was the head of UMG Worldwide. The next day, I got oodles of calls from Kidar Massenberg, who was heading up Motown at the time. She played on her guitar for me, and I don't, I don't recall whether it was India song or Ground Skin, and I just remember getting up and saying, welcome to Motown. But India's success quickly caused anger and resentment among fellow members of her Atlanta underground music community. There was definite jealousy, and, and we even had our misunderstandings, because sometimes they'd be like, well, why didn't you do this? And, you know, just tell me that. People really did not understand the, the work that she was having to, you know, what it meant for her to get a deal, what it meant for her to be first. She didn't want to get bigger than them. She wanted to go with them. They had this vision, this whole river was all going to go into this big ocean. Well, that's not the way it ended up because somebody had to lead the troops. India pressed on. Now signed to Motown, India went into the studio to record her debut album, Acoustic Soul. It proved to be a challenging experience for the new recording artist. Recording my first album was very difficult, going from just playing guitar and, hey, Donnie, throw some background vocals on this. Hey, Dana, play some guitar, just free. Then it turned into a bigger, um, much more was at stake. I remember her being scared to death about all the language in the, in the, in the record contract. The record label doesn't want to hurt the investment that they made in you as an artist. So with NDRE, when she signed with a record label, I'm sure a free-spirited, soulful, spiritual sister, I'm sure she had to quickly overnight realize, wow, this is a business. They sign you by saying, oh, we love your music. This is so wonderful. We so support you. We want to work with you. And you get in the studio and it's like, uh, that beat's not hot enough. That's not a hit. The music that we, we had wasn't that obvious in the box hit. So it was another year of working and writing. The stress of that time was really, really awful for her, and it did lead to really serious problems. Like, you know, she lost her voice. There was a, actually eight months during the recording process of Acoustic Soul where I lost my voice. It was just gone. She was just stressed out, um, you know, being kind of ripped away from the scene. She leaves and she's completely disconnected, not only from the people who she's the closest to, but anybody at all who was connected to that world in Atlanta, where she, where she really bloomed and blossomed and where she was you know, able to become who she became to get signed. With the release of Acoustic Soul, India faced tough competition on the neo-soul front. Singers like Erica Badu, Maxwell, and Angie Stone were already well ahead firing up the music charts. I wanted to figure out how to get played on black radio. That was important to me, to be played on black radio, because I knew that if I made folk songs, it could be on other types of radio stations, and I didn't mind that, but I wanted to be based in the black community. That was just important to me. And what got difficult was I kind of got stuck in this box that they called Neo Soul, and that meant you couldn't speak to anyone but young black people who wore orange dresses and purple hair wraps. Artists never like the terms that you bring to their music. Like, um, they find almost any term uh, limiting. Well, as far as India is concerned, I kind of felt that she kind of had her own little niche, you know, as far as um, 
her own uniqueness about her as far as uh, a recording artist. And, uh, you know, stepping into the forefront of the Erica Badu's, the Jill Scott's, the D'Angelo's, I mean, I felt that she could just hold her, hold her own. India did break big. Acoustic Soul went certified platinum and rose to number 10 on Billboard. Acoustic Soul, classic. That was the, that was the hit. That was the breakthrough. You know, that was the moment. A song like Video was the ultimate breakthrough, you know, and put her on the map and went on to sell three million copies here in America. So that's a good example of capturing lightning in a bottle. Sometimes I shave my legs and sometimes I don't. Her first album, Acoustic Soul, was a great introductory album for her. It let the world know and hear who she was. First song we actually sat down and tried to write was video. She called me up and she said, I don't want to do this. And I said, what don't you want to do? And she sang me the hook and it was uh, something about, my name is India Ari, she says in the thing. And she said, I want to say my name in it. That's what they do in hip hop. That's not me and all that. I said, India, you need to do it because that's how people will know how to pronounce your name. And then she starts singing it. Not the average girl from the video. She had that much of it already. She had the hook already. And then she 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 gave me the, uh, the verse idea where she wanted to go with the verses. And uh, the first verse was written in five minutes. Yeah. The whole song, the song was done in an hour, really. Not the average girl from your video. My worth is not determined by the price of my clothes. No matter what I'm wearing, I will always be. That was the first song in a long time where she just put it out there. She's like, you know, sometimes I want to paint my toes, sometimes I want to shave my legs, I don't. When she talks about the video, no, I'm not. Well, who is the girl in the video? A social construction of somebody's sense of what a woman should be, but she's saying like, no, I'm my own woman. It's about how can I be comfortable with myself and, the, and enjoy the skin that I am in. Her lyrics were very much about empowering women and I think that's what really struck a chord with the public and especially black females. Here was a highly cerebral, highly intelligent, poetically intense black woman with tremendous skills who was telling us I'm not going to conform to your narrow image of what I am. I thought that was intensely liberating. In a lighthearted way she attacked a part of the music industry that had just become entrenched in the image that is supposed to be the image of a beautiful black woman. For her to come out and kind of represent the real woman um, is how people began their affinity towards uh, India Ari. Up next, high hopes and big disappointments greet India. It's gonna be a big night, don't you feel good? I feel a lot of things, <laughs> all at once. Acoustic Soul was not only a smashing hit record, but went on to earn India seven Grammy nominations. Miss India Ari for Acoustic Soul. The Grammy nominations came out and people started calling me and saying, Woo, man, you and India are up for seven Grammy nominations. And I, I, I had no idea. I had no idea we would even be 
qualify for that, you know? And, and uh, it was staggering, absolutely staggering. That was my first taste of like the competition. To be nominated for seven when you're not even trying to do that just shows the strength of what you do. I mean, we were like, man, this is, this is crazy. We're coming from Denver to seven Grammy nominations? What? It was a landmark moment in the history of, you know, progressive music and the recognition that should uh, be given to an artist with an independent spirit um, who had broken through to mainstream consciousness. She had already rece was receiving a significant, a significant amount of media attention, but once that hit, of course, everybody wanted the story. To see someone who I saw grow from, you know, knowing like five chords on the guitar to being nominated for a Grammy uh, was something we had never seen before. I was like, I want to win. I want to win some, and then everybody around me, I think you're going to get two. It's going to be a big night. Don't you feel good? I feel a lot of things <laughs> I would, all at once. I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine. But in spite of her stunning seven chances for a win, Grammy night 2002 was a huge disappointment for India. I remember being there because the album that I did with her, and the funny thing is she was going, to, she was going against uh, Alicia Keys, and I remember Clive Davis sitting behind me, and I remember each time that she was nominated for each one, how Clive would tap me on my shoulder and say, that's another one, Kedar, that's another one, just really let me have it. And it was ironic that after the Grammys, the Grammys came and I didn't win any. It was all on television, it was all a little bit embarrassing, but more than anything, it was just hurtful because I'm just, you know, I'm an artist, I'm sensitive, insensitive about my music and whatever. I remember going that night and it was absolutely heartbreaking. We were watching this and boom, she lost the first one, it, it hurt. And she lost the second one, it hurt. And we said, we're just gonna keep rooting because you got seven. And as the night progressed, um, it, made, it made us sad. How is it that you get seven nominations and you don't win one? When you are clearly in control of what was on your album, when you are clearly singing about things that matter beyond uh, falling in love with a man, when you're talking about self-esteem, beauty, and self-acceptance. It would be very difficult for me to recall an artist getting as many as seven nominations and being shut out at the Grammys. I mean, that's a very rare thing. Alicia Keys just kind of sucked all the air out of that particular room. The, the black female, the new black female room. India's Grammy losses to Alicia Keys created a heated debate on stereotypes in the music business. One can't help but recognize that there were tremendous stereotypes that were being replicated that night. First of all, light versus dark, let's be real. If you don't look the part of what America sees as uh, the desirable, lovely, and uh, if you will, um, you know, sexually uh, vibrant figure, then you might get be, be closed out. The thing that Alicia had going for her was that she had the backing of Clive Davis, who is an industry lion who has made the careers of so many great artists, notably Whitney Houston. Knowing a little bit about the background, um, specifically of how Alicia entered the scene, I think she used a strategy that created a bridge for people who like classical created a bridge for people who like rap, created a bridge for people who like R&B and, and, and great entertainment, and wrapped it all up and said, bam, and it worked. India Ari came out powerful, strong. This is who I am. I am black. We are beautiful. Embrace this. It's a very powerful message, but a more difficult message 
for everybody to embrace instantly. After the fact, a lot of my elder female um, musical idols were like, I tried to get through to you to tell you not to take it too seriously, but I couldn't reach you. Sade, I couldn't reach you. So um, I took it a little bit too serious and it hurt my feelings a lot. Determined not to be defeated by the politics of the music industry, India bounced back with a vengeance. After she um, was nominated for seven Grammys with Acoustic Soul and lost every one of them, she took the whole band to Jamaica. And um, it was a really cleansing experience to be able to go down there and work and record and just, you know, everybody just enjoy each other and be creative. My second album was called Voyage to India and I rushed and did it in four months because they were like, they meaning just the contingency of, at the label. You know, if you put it out fast, you know, you'll go ahead and get those votes from last year. Now people know who you are, you can win some Grammys. And I thought, in my opinion, that definitely Acoustic Soul was definitely a better album than uh, Voyage to India. But as far as her guitar playing and her lyrical content and her delivery, I think she was a lot more confident on Voyage, on Voyage to India. A lot of Voyage was written on the road. Um, I have a, a very clear picture in my mind right now of um, being on the back of a tour bus with India riding Slow Down. And I, I see mountain ranges in the back, so while we're riding Slow Down and the track is going in the, in, in the back, um, that's what we're writing, going, literally going down the road. So that's where it came from. Slow down, baby, you're going too fast. In 2003, Voyage to India earned her three Grammy nominations, along with a fourth for a collaboration with Stevie Wonder. The night before the Grammys, I was at um, this function with uh, Chuck D. He said, so are you ready for tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I might not go, I don't know. And he said, you are here to change things. You can, you, he said it like that, you cannot change things unless you are present. So that night I created my mission statement, which I speak all the time. I carry it with me at my shows. I say it all the time from the stage. And my mission is to spread love, healing, and peace through words and music. It was the night before the, my trip to the Grammys. That's when her purpose was really defined. And I think that that's when she in herself resolved that she wasn't doing it for the accolades. She wasn't doing it for the praise. And it really made her look at why she was doing this. On Grammy night 2003, India finally reigned, taking home two trophies. There was certainly much more of a push behind IndiaRE with Voyage to India. You know, there was much more of a sense of her record company wanting to get her out there. And I think also, you know, the music was a little bigger sounding. Acoustic Soul, it's sort of amazing that it got as much of attention as it did, not because it's not great, but because it's actually, you know, it's pretty subtle. I think Voyage to India was a much clearer message in a way. I mean, people knew who she was, and she kind of stepped into that role a little bit. And, you know, in that time, she did get rewarded at the Grammys. Coming up, a relationship breakup helps inspire India's next album. I was in a very um, uh, committed relationship that was very tumultuous and dramatic. By the time she recorded her third album, India had become more philosophical about her music. I pray into every song and every album, may this song, may this album, may this show tonight touch whoever needs to be touched in whatever way they need to be touched. Like God work through me 
India returned to the studio in 2005 to record Testimony, Volume 1, Love and Relationship, including the tracks I Am Not My Hair and There's Hope. I was in a very um, uh, committed relationship that was very tumultuous and dramatic. And I saw what was going on, but you have to let, as long as he wasn't physically hitting her or physically talking down to her or, or mentally talking down to her, you have to let it play itself out because she has to learn her own lessons. All those songs that I wrote about relationship, not that relationship in particular, but about relationships and what they're like in the real world and not on the movies, and but what they're like in the real world, turned out to be my third album, Testimony Volume 1, Life and Relationship. NDRE's influence on young females is beyond reach. I mean, it, you don't know any young girl who doesn't have some kind of tri uh, angst about her life or where she's going or who she is. Uh, I'm Not My Hair is so clever. That is such a great song. And it's a great message. And I Am Not My Hair, she kind of talks about like, my hair fell out, I got a perm, I didn't know what to do, I had to cut it all off. You know what I mean? What black girl hasn't gone through that moment? In the beginning of my career, I said, I want to make music that makes a difference. Because we all idolize Stevie Wonder to all of us. And I didn't want to sing like Stevie Wonder, and I didn't want my music to sound like his, but I wanted to do what he did in people's hearts with his music. I wanted to touch people the way that he touched me. When she wrote the, the song, I'm Not My Hair, personally, um, <clears throat> being a breast cancer survivor, uh, you know, it, it touched, you know, we had that whole connection as well. But um, the funny story is because I would, uh, Simpson, India's mom, would make these head wraps for me because I was going through chemo, I was bald. And um, I, we used to laugh because I said, you know, they're going to say, look at this white girl, this India Re wannabe that's following her around, you know, because I'd have these big old head wraps. And then, <laughs> and then finally India would say, like, you know, just, you're not your hair, just, you know, just go bald, take it off. That was the first album I did that had any of my old Earthseed stuff. The song India's song was from my Earthseed days. And I saved it for a long time because I felt like it was special to me and I wasn't going to let it out anywhere until I knew that it was going to be taken care of. And um, there's hope for that album ended up being used with the Barack Obama campaign, which was awesome. But NDRE's song, Hope to Be Included, was powerful. It was very smart and strategic on the part of Obama to incorporate these messages that have touched the hearts and souls of people of different generations, especially young people. Barack Obama was facing enormous odds. He was a man who was against the mainstream, he had a funny name, he didn't look the part. Like India Ari, he didn't fit into any neat category. And yet, like India Ari, he brought his genius, he brought his consciousness, he brought his poetry, he brought his oratorical ability, he brought his skill as an artist of the word, and he made a way out of no way. For him to ask India Ari to you know, create this song and use the song Hope, I think is, is very indicative of the Obamas and their respect of black culture, their love of black culture, but also to bring an artist who's really great to the forefront and represent change. And Heart of the Matter from that album was used on Sex and the City, which was awesome once again, because it was on the commercial, you know, Sex and the City was like widely anticipated and 
part of the matter was on the commercial, so everybody was like, you know, getting to hear me. In 2009, India released her fourth album, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics, which included the duet with music soul child, Chocolate High. On one hand, I finally made an album that strictly came from an inspired place. She had a really, really clear vision of what she wanted this record to be, and she saw it all the way through. That's what, that's what volume two is. Chocolate High was a song that actually came to her crib and, and wrote like four, five years ago, something like that. And it's been revamped a few times. I actually really, really dig the, the new, the new um, representation of that song. I'm addicted to your chocolate high. I want you and I know that you want me. So let's stay close like we supposed to be. Just get high off our own supply. To your 2009 also presented India with the opportunity of a lifetime at the White House. Michelle said, looked her straight in the eye, shoulder to shoulder. She said, you are my favorite. I love what you do. India goes, teared up and said, thank you. In recent years, India has expanded beyond the music world. In 2003, she was named a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. I think it's important for um, celebrities to give back because it's important for anyone to give back you know when you have but I also think that obviously anyone who likes what you do you just have more support from more people just by being you she's more substance than style and more substance than celebrity her embracing UNICEF and some of the ideals around that and her embracing uh, singing about and speaking about some of the world issues is a is a is a shining example for all art, for all artists. It's a wonderful thing for her or any person who is able to give back. She's staying. She's staying with her sister now. The parent passed away because of HIV, and that's so she's now living with her sister. So they were left three of them. Was that the family now? There's nothing she can do about it. You write songs to make yourself feel better? I write songs to make myself feel better too. India also remains connected and in touch with her community. And in 2009, was honored by the Washington, D.C. chapter of the NAACP. She is truly an inspiration, and it is my great honor and great privilege to present the D.C. NAACP Centennial Award to the incomparable Miss India Irene. The NAACP is all about empowering people uh, in their communities to be engaged in their democracy. Uh, and India's music uh, is, is, is imp about empowerment. I really strive to represent black people in a positive light. We know what India Ari's message is about. It's about liberation, it's about peace, it's about love, it's about challenging stereotypes, it's about fostering a sense of humanity in the midst of inhumanity, and it's about bearing witness to the vulnerability of the spirit when it stands naked before God. I mean, that's a beautiful message for the NAACP to, to latch on to. Being honored by the NAACP for me just always says, like, my community sees me and they appreciate that I'm doing it right. And tonight to be coupled with Cic Cicely Tyson was healing for me. And 
a reminder of what I want to be. The first time that I got to meet Cicely Tyson, I call her my queen. I call her my queen. Did you know I call you my queen? But well, you're not around. Um, <laughs> the first time I got to meet my queen, we were in South Africa, and I saw her, and I was like, look, I'm like, oh my God. And she said, come on, let me talk to you for a minute. I was like, yes. <laughs> and I knew she was like that, because like, no, I've, I've watched her. But just seeing it so up close, I walked away thinking, I want to be like that. Because I see myself like that. I want to have like just a lot of wisdom and a lot of great work with a lot of integrity to it under my belt. I want to be able to work with children and have, you know, artists who are 40 years younger than me calling me queen. You know, like, I want that. I, there's a lot of things about her that I want to be. Self-determined and self-confident, India Ari is without a doubt one of today's leading women. Too much hypocrisy in the souls of the town for me. Way back in 1619, began this tragic story. Thrown into slavery's den, the cry was the curse then. Never to see the light of the past again. I want to go in the mountains of Highland to echo my song. I want to go where the rivers run deep enough to drown my shame. I wanna go where the stars shine bright enough to show me the way. I wanna go where the wind calls my name. But wind is calling India, India. 